you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to episode 62 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode of Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and for my family and for my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We appreciate it so much. Thank you to my new Patreon subscribers. If you want to subscribe to my Patreon and get two additional videos every month, you can find me at patreon.com slash Baker. Well, before I get into the the rest of the show notes, I want to direct your attention to one of the new songs off my upcoming 10-song album, The Wanderer. This is a song uh, called Remember. That was a small sample of Remember off the upcoming album. Should be out before the, uh, the beginning of the year, the new year. All right, well, today in episode 62, I'm beginning part two of my short series on the afterlife. And last, last time I talked about what the early Christians believed about the afterlife. And in part two, I'm going to be addressing some challenges, some scriptural challenges to those beliefs but we'll also have a little back and forth from the early Christians and also from the scriptures. So at the end, let the Holy Spirit and the scriptures be your guide, of course. But there are some certainties that we can totally hang our hat on that I'll address at the end. All right, well, if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review in my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And if you have any questions about this episode, I wanna encourage you to email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com and, 
or you can email BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And both of us will address that question on our, uh, our once a month Q&A show, Ready With An Answer. Also, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, and they have an awesome uh, documentary called Higher Entities that I want you to check out, the Fall Brothers do, with Chad Riley. And uh, I've seen it. It's incredible. We're doing a, uh, an episode together on that uh, really soon, a big roundtable discussion. So I really want to encourage you all to check that out when it comes. Uh, finally, I've got a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ that I wrote in 2016, and you can get a copy on Amazon. And if it's a blessing to you, please consider leaving a rating and review there too. And the, the early Christian uh, quotes that I use in these episodes can generally be found on the a CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can find for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get episode 62 rolling. All right, well, just to recap part one, the early Christians believed that when we die, we go to the realm of the dead. In Upper Hades, you find the followers of Jesus, followers of the one true God, who by grace through faith have put their trust in Jesus and are saved. And when they die, when we die, we go to paradise or Abraham's bosom. This is a very heavenly place. In some ways, it is with God, but it's not precisely heaven. Now, in lower Hades, you have what's referred to often by Jesus as outer darkness or weeping of gnashing of teeth. This is not the lake of fire, but it's very hellish. At the return of Christ or the second coming, bodies are raised and transformed. Corruption puts on incorruption. Mortality puts on immortality. We reign with Christ a thousand years in the new Jerusalem and beyond and into eternity. After the thousand years, the rest of the dead are raised, and those whose names are not found in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire, where the beast, the false prophet, and Satan have already been thrown. That is the second death. That is what is technically referred to as hell, the lake of fire. Okay, now that might sound really weird to you, and maybe some different passages are coming to your mind that would counter some of the early Christians, and that's kind of what I want to deal with today. All right, starting in Ephesians chapter four, many people have been taught that Ephesians four chapter, uh, chapter four, verse seven and eight describe how Christians were taken out of Hades when Jesus raised from the dead. So let's read that passage now. We're going to read Ephesians chapter four, verse seven through 13, and then we'll discuss it a little bit. Now, this is from the Berean literal Bible. Very good word for word translation. It says, now to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore, it says, having ascended on high, he led captive captivity and he gave gifts to men. Now, what is he ascended 
except that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. The one having descended is also the same one having ascended above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some indeed to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some shepherds and teachers toward the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all may attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I was taught, and I know many very solid Christians who were taught that when it says he led captive captivity, He's talking about those who were in Hades, who believed in God by grace through faith. They were followers of the one true God and were, you know, in the New Testament followers of Jesus and who died maybe before Jesus' ascension. And so when he ascended, he took all the believers out of Hades, upper Hades, and into, uh, into heaven. Now, let's look at that a little bit, okay? First, one thing I wanna point out is that Paul does say that he descended, Jesus descended into the lower regions of the earth. So even there, Paul seems to be suggesting that Hades is actually in the earth. (laughs) That's just something to to hold on to. Um, Now, let's look at... um, Let's look at what Tertullian says about this passage in the, around the year 200, and we'll discuss it a little bit. He says, Now, hear how he declared that by Christ himself, when he returned to heaven, these spiritual gifts were to be sent. Quote, He ascended up on high, that is, into heaven, and he led captivity captive, meaning death or slavery of man. Quote, he gave gifts to the son of man, that is the gratuities, which we call charismata. So let me break down real quick what Tertullian is saying. So Tertullian is saying that at the ascension, right? This is 40 days after the resurrection. After he ascended, he held death captive. He took captive captivity. He took captivity captive. He took death captive. He was conquering death. He's showing that he has put a stop to that, him being the first fruits of the resurrection. All right? It's not saying that death is completely over with because we know death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire later on after the battle of Armageddon. But he's saying that he took death captive. Now he owns it. He's got it. That's basically what Tertullian is saying. The captive that he took captive, (laughs) the captivity that he took captive was just death. And that makes a lot of sense. And he gave gifts to men, obviously talking about these spiritual gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teachers. So that's all Tertullian is saying. He's like, don't make it to be out, uh, to, out to be anything other than what it is. It's just 
death. Let's look at Justin Martyr. This is in 160. About this passage, Justin writes, it was prophesied that after the ascent of Christ to heaven, he would deliver us from error and give us gifts. The words are these, he ascended up on high and he led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. All right. So he's saying that he would deliver us from error and give us gifts. So Justin is suggesting maybe it's sin, sin and death, right? So that's all Justin's saying. Now, it's really interesting that these guys are admitting, yeah, Jesus ascended up to heaven at his ascension. Yeah, he did. And if you listen to the last episode, they're also saying that Christians present day are in Hades, upper Hades, which would be paradise or Abraham's bosom. So a question could be raised. Well, doesn't Paul say that we will be in Jesus's presence when we die? And isn't Jesus at the right hand of the father in heaven? Well, yeah, he does. <laughs> so we can't deny that. So let's look at Romans 8, 33. Paul writes, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So yeah, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us, generally speaking, right? All right, uh, again, let's look at another passage that says we'll be in Jesus's presence. This is Philippians chapter one, verse 21. Paul writes again, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Now I must say real quick, um, most of these passages that I'm reading now is from the New American Standard Version. It's also a really good word for word translation that if it's, if it's adding in words, they'll put it in italicies, italics, so you'll know what they're adding in for clarification's sake. So that's pretty cool. Pretty good word for word uh, translation. Anyways, Paul does say that it's, it's better for him to depart to be with Christ. And that's much better than being here on earth. So that suggests that we are in Jesus's presence in some kind of way. We have one more passage about that, again from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 8. Paul writes, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with, with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. 
Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, always being of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So, seems pretty clear. When we die, we will be with the Lord. Polycarp in 135 wrote in reference to some faithful martyrs, he said, they are in their due place in the presence of the Lord with whom they also suffered. So he's saying these people that died for their faith, they are in the presence of of the Lord. So is it that simple? Or is being in the presence of the Lord a little more nuanced? All right, so let's go to John chapter 14. So this is Jesus on his last night and he's already washed the disciples' feet and he tells them that he's gonna have to leave them. And in verse one of chapter 14, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, verse six, classic verse. It's, it's the uh, main verse of my, of my university that I attended. Uh, HBU, Houston Baptist University, and that verse is like all over the place. Absolutely awesome verse. 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But let's think about verse three for a minute. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that's interesting. He's saying that when he comes back, when he returns, where he is, we will also be. When he comes again, he will receive us to himself. So he seems to be suggesting that we will be in the presence of the Lord when the Lord returns. Let's keep going in John 14. In verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. 
Now that's interesting. In John 14, Jesus says that he will send another helper, Alos, an Alos, which means another of the same kind, another of the same type. And he says this another who is like the Father and like Jesus is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will be in us. So it's interesting. Now the Lord is the Spirit, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, and the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The Lord is the Spirit. Of course, we're not going into monism, but in some kind of way, Jesus is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit is one with Jesus and one with the Father. While we are in the presence of the Holy Spirit right now, living, the Holy Spirit being in us, we are not actually in the presence of the Father, in the presence of Jesus, and yet in some way we, we are. We're not and we are. Is it possible that we move closer to God's presence in degrees? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Paul writes, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child and think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul seems to be connecting this knowing fully and being face to face with the Lord with this phrase, when the perfect comes. So many people have taught that the perfect is the scriptures or they've said the canon being put, to be, put together, but I think a far more uh, biblically sound uh, exegesis of that phrase would lead us to believe that Paul is talking about the return of Jesus. He is the perfect that comes. And if that's the case, then we will see him face to face when he comes back, the second coming. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13, Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So, 
is it possible that we are always with the Lord in the presence of the Lord in more of a full state at the second coming? First Corinthians 15 verse 51 says, Paul writes, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. No one can stand in God's presence without being changed, being conformed to the image of the Lord as Romans 8 talks about having this glorified body. Is it then that we see face to face? I don't know, but it sure seems that way to me. Maybe being in the presence of the Lord is a yet, not yet situation like the kingdom of God. For instance, Jesus said once, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is in your midst. So clearly, and he was driving out demons, clearly he was saying to them, hey, the kingdom of God is right now. And yet, evil has not been done away with. As uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 uh, describes, when the seventh angel, the last trumpet is sounded, he writes, then the angel, the seventh angel sounded its trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name and the small and the great and to destroy those who destroy the earth. It would seem like that's when the kingdom of God comes more fully. So is it possible that just like the kingdom of God is a yet but not yet situation, is it like that being in the presence of the Lord? When we die, if the early Christians are right and we go to paradise or Abraham's bosom, we are in the presence of the Lord in some kind of weird way, but even more so, when he returns and even more so when we have our glorified body and are able to stand in the presence of the father who no one has seen at any time. I don't know. Let's come to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse eight. The writer is talking to Jewish Christians who are being tempted to deny their faith in Christ because of persecution. They're being tempted to go back to Judaism because they think that will be a little bit safer 
for them. And the writer says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and the sound of a trumpet blast and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. So the writer of Hebrews there is saying, look guys, as scary as it was for those people in Exodus 19 who stood at Mount Sinai and heard God speaking and were terrified and asked God to stop speaking. It was so scary, so loud. He's like, you think that was spectacular? No, you haven't come to that. You've come to something much greater. And he's saying it in the present tense. Verse 22 but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It's interesting. He says, you have come presently. You are there. You're in the heavenly Jerusalem. They are, but they're not. Yet, but not yet. They're in the presence of God. And yet they're not. It's weird, but it's true. I want to continue with that passage as we begin to kind of wrap it up. He begins to give them some practical application based on that belief. He says, so therefore, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those, those back in Exodus, those who came out of Egypt, if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape who turns away from him who warns from heaven? And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So that's kind of setting the table for the, so what? Why do I need to think about these things? Well, for one, death is coming for us all. So is judgment day. And Paul addresses these realities over and over. All of us will bow 
will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of us will do that with extreme gratitude, humility, and overwhelming joy. And some of us will be forced down to our knees. Paul addresses the realities of death and judgment in 2 Corinthians 5. After he talks about how it's better to be at home with the Lord than to be present here on earth. He says, therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Going to verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making his appeal through us. And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The wages of sin is death and eternal destruction, terrible, torturous destruction. But Jesus has made a way so that we can be with God forever. He has done everything necessary to reconcile the entire world to him if we would receive him. Those who receive him have the right to become children of God. That word receive in John chapter one is lombano, which means to go after something hard. Frequently, when I, when I speak to students, I'll use this passage and I'll put a $20 bill down on the ground and I'll ask them, how many of you guys want this 20? And some of them kind of look back and forth at each other and maybe one or two or several will raise their hand. And I'll say, I don't believe you. Do you really want this 20? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we want that $20 bill. I'm like, well, I don't believe you. 
I don't believe you do. And we'll go through this maybe three or four times. And eventually, it's, <laughs> it's happened every time. Eventually, one of them will go get up, walk in front of all his or her classmates, and grab that 20. And I'll say, there, I believe her. I believe she wanted it. And the point is, if you really want Jesus, go get him. He's come to you. He's done everything by his grace. He's even given you the ability to have faith in him. You got to exercise that. But people, people have to want him. You got to want him. But our job is to be ambassadors, to help people want Jesus, want to go get him. God is making his appeal to the world through us. Are you living out the simple words of Christ? Are you depending on God so fully that when they look at you, when they hear you, they're seeing Jesus? I know I have a long way to go in that regard, but I want to be more like him. I want to see him face to face, and I want others to be able to see him through me. Is that what you want? I pray it is. Whether we go to Hades or whether we go to heaven, we either end up in the presence of the Lord or away from him in agony, eternal agony. There's no getting around those two realities. We either end up with him or without him in eternal torment. Let's be ambassadors to the world, showing the world how incredible Jesus is so that they run to him. God bless you. You said go Seek me and you'll find And when you're low Just look to the night sky I've come so far You're faithful to your word It pricks my heart Your whisper heals and Yeah.
Said on what 